Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 10 today. Alright. Someone tell me what they remember from last time. Anything you remember from last time? When we talk about faith uh, for healing, is the faith in that God will do it, or that God is able to do it? Able, that's right. And that's what Jesus talked about. Do you believe I'm able to do this in verse 28 at Matthew 9? And he said, yes. And um, then he said... According to your faith, so be it unto you. If they didn't have, really have the faith, I guess they wouldn't have been healed. Okay. Um, someone tell me something else they, they remember from last week. A good and a bad shepherd. What are some What are some uh, qualities of a good shepherd? Watches the flock, and why is he watching the flock? get lost, or they're protecting. And what else is a, what is another good quality of a good, of a good shepherd? Disciplines a sheep. What was that? Guidance. Guidance, yep. Discipline. What more that I talked about? Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Yes. A good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep to protect them. And of course, he just lays his life down for us that we can be saved. What are some characteristics of a bad shepherd? Selfish. Selfish, that's right. They, they really don't care about the actual sheep. All they care about is themselves. What are some other uh, characteristics of a bad Proud, okay. Doesn't watch the flock, okay. What happens when a predator or a wolf comes to, to attack the sheep? What does this bad shepherd do? By the way, he's a coward. He's a hireling. Doesn't really care for the, the sheep. What, what does he care about? I mean, he cares about himself, but what is he really in it for? He's greedy. He's in it for the money. Not in it for the sheep. So, that's good. Yeah, those are some good qualities and some characteristics of a bad shepherd. And good qualities of a good shepherd. And um, what is the solution that Jesus gave to the harvest being plentiful and the laborers being few. Right in verse 38 it says, the solution is that there's more laborers needed. More laborers needed. That's right. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about this week, Matthew chapter 10. And this week, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about just one disciple, and his name is Judas. Okay, so we're going to talk about his life a little bit this week. And uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Let's see, all the way to verse 39. Okay, and then we're just going to talk about Judas and his life and what happened with him. And uh, was he really ever a disciple of Jesus, uh, according to this text? Um, 
Did he lose his salvation? Was he predestined to be the son of perdition or the person who would betray Jesus? And all those kind of things. So let's start uh, reading in verse 1. And I want you to pick out things along the way, see if you can find out some characteristics about Judas and the rest of the disciples that Jesus talks about here. When he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and his, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper on your money belts, nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it, who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go out into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And her will not receive you nor hear your words. When you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Surely I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now a brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. For they fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Are not, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father, who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than, more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, so what we see here is Jesus appointing the twelve apostles, the twelve disciples here, the ones that would be closest to him, and he's sending them out, which makes them apostles literally, because the word apostle is from the Greek word apostolos, 
and it means sent out one. Actually, one who's sent out by Jesus. That's why Paul could call himself an apostle, because he was sent out by Jesus directly. Okay? And there's some who would even say that the person who actually replaced Judas was Paul. And Matthias, who was never actually called directly by Jesus to go out, was not really an official apostle because he was picked by the disciples, by the apostles themselves, not by Jesus to be sent out. But we see here in verse 4, included in this 12, of course, is Judas Iscariot. And we see in verse 1, what he, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, and he had all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now I want to propose to you, there's never been an unbeliever ever who Jesus has given these powers to. Okay, so this right here, this first point I'm making to you is that God, Jesus gave Judas, who was a genuine believer, a genuine disciple of his, the power of unclean spirits to cast him out, and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, one objection people will give to this is what we looked at uh, back in Matthew 7, where it says in verse 21, uh, Jesus speaking here, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the people talked about here in Matthew 7, 21-23, Jesus said, I never knew you. These people were never Christians. And it says they prophesied, cast out demons, and did many wonders. But who's saying that about them? They're saying that about them. They're saying, have not we done this and this and this? Jesus isn't saying they did those things. They're saying they did those things. Okay? And the difference between the people in this, uh, Matthew 7, 21-23, and the people, the, the disciples found in Matthew 10, including Judas, is that Jesus gave them the power to do these things. So in Matthew 7, 21-23, an objection maybe a Calvinist would bring up, to come against this, this, this position I'm giving you that Judas was once a genuine believer, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, is, is faulted because in Matthew 7, 21-23, they're saying that about themselves. Have we not done this? As almost like a question mark. In your name. But it never says that Jesus gave them the power to do those things, or that they actually legitimately did those things. There's many people who claim to have done wonders in Jesus' name. You know, a name that you know about, we talked about before, is Benny Hinn. He claims to do things in Jesus' name, heal people. I've just been watching the documentary that I have again on him, and, and he doesn't have one documented healing. Where someone came from a doctor, they had cancer, or they had a, some kind of problem with them, some disease, they came to his crusades, they healed them, they went back, and there was nothing wrong with them. In fact, they had t case after case after case where people went back, went off their medicine, they still had the same problems. Because they thought they were healed of Benny Hinn, they went off their medicine and they ended up dying. Okay, so uh, there's many people who'll be like that. And we see many of those kind of people found in Matthew 7, 21 22. Now, I don't know if Benny Hinn ever knew Jesus myself, personally. He, he may not fall into that category as far as never knowing him. But he does do things. He says he does them anyway. But does he legitimately do them? Not according to the facts. Okay, so these people, the disciples, 12 disciples, were legitimately given power by Jesus himself, cast out demons, raise the dead, Heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases, and to cast out demons. Okay, so, and Judas is included in that, you see in verse 4. And then he says to these 12, he commanded them, and in verse 6, he tells them to preach the kingdom of heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever command an unbeliever to preach 
the kingdom of heaven. Now, there was one time when these people who were not of the disciples were preaching, and they said, should we, should we rebuke them for it? The disciples asked him, Jesus this, and he says, no, let, let them preach. But my point is, he didn't commission them to preach. He's saying, let them preach, because the, the truth is still going out, whether of them or not. But the point is, Jesus never, ever commissioned someone to preach the gospel. He was not himself a gospel believer, too. So we have Judas among these people who's preaching the kingdom of heaven. Now he's healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, once again in verse 8. This time, verse 1 doesn't say this, he has the power to raise the dead. Whenever we ever know of an unbeliever who has the power to raise the dead. Yet Judas was given by Jesus the power to raise the dead. He says, freely you have received, so they received this power, freely give. So Judas had this power to do these things. Uh, in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, it uh, talks about what to bring and what, what not to bring on your journey, and he calls him a worker. Remember, he's talking to all 12 here. He calls him a worker who is worthy of his food. That kind of language is only said about a gospel preacher who should live from the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 9. So he's actually a legitimate worker who's worthy of his food. And keep in mind now, in Matthew 10, this is the very beginning of the disciples' ministry. The very beginning. We're going to look at some other scriptures that are later on in the ministry of Jesus with the disciples alongside of him, where God, Jesus says some pretty strong things about, about Judas. Okay? Uh, in verse 15, he says, Surely I say to you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and the day of judgment for that city. And that's talking about the city who rejects them. So the city that rejects Judas, he's among the twelve here, he should shake dust off his feet from that city, and that city will have a worse judgment day than Sodom and Gomorrah. When would God ever say that about an unbeliever? Being in a city, and the city having a worse judgment day than Sodom and Gomorrah. So, he, so far, he has the power to cast out demons, heal the sick, and all kinds of diseases, raise the dead. He's called a worker, he's worthy of his food, and the city who rejects him, including any of the rest of the twelve, will have a worse judgment day than Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? And verse 16 says, I Behold, I send you out a sheep. So now he's called a sheep. He's a sheep. Following who? The great shepherd. He's a sheep in the midst of wolves. Not a wolf in the midst of wolves. And if he never was a believer, he couldn't be called a sheep. He had to be a wolf. And you see later on in, in the verses we're going to look at that, that Jesus, like at the Last Supper, he makes a distinction between the rest of the disciples and Judas. But here he doesn't do that. Because he hasn't departed from the faith yet. So he's a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In verse 19 it says, But when they deliver you up, talking about the authorities, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in the hour what you should speak. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So Jesus tells Judas that when you're delivered up to authorities, do not worry about in that hour what to speak, but the Spirit will speak in you. So the Spirit's going to speak in an unbeliever now? No, he's a legitimate believer. The Spirit's going to speak in him and give him the words to speak. Okay? Uh, verse 22. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now here, I think, is a legitimate warning, not only for Judas, but for the rest of the disciples. But specifically intended for Judas and for Peter. Because they both are the ones who denied him. 
One betrayed him, and then Peter denied him three times. So legitimate warning to them that he who endures to the end shall be saved. Okay? Then in verse 24, now he's calling Judas a disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So Judas is called the disciple, and he's called his servant. So far he's called a worker worthy of his food, he's called a sheep in the midst of wolves, he's called a, a disciple, not above his teacher, he's called a servant, not above his master. Judas is being called all these things along with the rest of the, the twelve. And then we see in verse 27 another command to all the disciples what they should do. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the air, preach on the housetops. Once again, commanded to preach. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's a warning for them. And uh, it's a warning because Judas's main problem, as we'll see later on in this, in this teaching, is his love of money. That's his main problem. But Peter's main problem is his fear of man. So I think this is a specific warning for Peter because under the fear of man, later on, after Judas is captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, Peter and John follow. They go into the... the uh, Peter's around the fire, worrying himself, and he denies Christ three times because of the fear of man. So this is a, a precursor to, for Peter, warning him, don't, you know, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body and nothing else. Fear me. Fear God is able to destroy, destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 32, another warning here. Therefore, whoever confesses before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And see, what you see here with the parallel between Peter and Judas, they both basically deny Jesus. Judas by betraying him, leading the people to him. Jesus by, I mean Peter by denying him three times with his own mouth. And they both had an option, two options after they did these things. What were the two options after they did these things to Jesus? Repent, repent or continue. One hot godly sorrow, his name was Peter, which led to repentance, to salvation, and he got restored by Jesus after he rose from the grave. The threefold restoration we find in John, the end of John. And then we have Judas, who had worldly sorrow. And it led to what? death. It's like the Bible says. Worldly sorrow leads to death. But he could have repented. J Judas wasn't this person who was beyond repentance because of what he did. What Peter did was just as bad. So Judas could have repented. He could have came back to the faith. Of course, I'm not saying by any means that God didn't know what he would do. Or that Jesus didn't know what he would do. But knowing is not the same thing as causing. And knowing doesn't negate the freedom of their will, the person's will. In verse 34, another warning, I think, for all the disciples. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth, but I'm not going to bring peace, but a sword. Following Jesus will not always bring you peace in life. In fact, more times than, than, than not, it'll bring you division in life. Between you and your family members who maybe aren't Christians. Unless they become Christians themselves. You and friends who aren't Christians. So become Christians themselves. And what fellowship does light have with darkness anyway? And it talks about who your enemies will be. And it says in verse 39, He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. 
And the Mark account of this, this quote right here, Mark 8, 34 to 38, says, he who loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it. So you must be willing to lose your life to find it. If you try to save your, life, your own life and you know, preserve your own life, you will lose it. Because you're more concerned about preserving your own physical life than offering eternal life to others and having eternal life in the kingdom to come. So we see all these things about Judas. He's one of the twelve. But Jesus gave the power, genuine power, to uh, power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal, heal all kinds of sickness and diseases, to raise the dead. He calls him a worker worthy of his food. He says that Sodom and Gomorrah will have a worse judgment day than the, than the city that rejects him. He tells him to go preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He calls him a sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, don't worry about when you're delivered to the authorities, that the Spirit will speak in you. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You're called, he's called a disciple and a servant in verse 24. And uh, he gives them lots of warnings here about what's to come. Now, I gave you one objection people give regarding the power to heal unclean spirits, and that's from Matthew 7, and hopefully you can understand the differences there. Uh, the next objection we see here is in John chapter 6, and verse uh, 70. And we'll actually we'll look at verse 64 first, and then verse 70. And Jesus here had just gone through this issue of telling his, these, all these people who were following, not just the 12 disciples here, but all this huge crowd that's following, they just fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, he miraculously fed, fed them the bread and the fish. Now they're following him. He said, listen, if you don't eat my, my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in me. This is a hard saying. So they all depart from him except for the twelve. And in verse 64 it says, But there are some of you who did not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. So Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. But Jesus' foreknowledge of the event, not just these other disciples depart from him, but Judas who would later on depart from him and betray him, does not negate their free will and does not mean that they were never genuine believers in the first place. Okay? I'm going to go down to verse 70. And after Jesus asks them if they will go away, Peter says, No, you have the words of eternal life. We believe you are the Christ, Son of the living God. And in verse 70 he says, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So he chose Judas. And Judas became a devil. Now people would assert, especially people who believe in once saved, always saved, or they're Calvinists, those sort of verse 70 means that Judas was a devil from the beginning. It doesn't say that. One of you is a devil. That's present tense there. And chronologically speaking, Matthew 10 is about six months to a year before John 6. According to the, the harmony of the Gospels I've seen laid out, the dates I've looked at, about six months to a year, Matthew 10 is before John 6. And this is the first negative thing we see about Judas from Jesus' mouth. Where in Matthew 10, he has nothing negative to say about him at all. Here he makes a distinction between the, the 11 and Judas. In Matthew 10, he made no distinction at all. So Judas became a devil. 
And how do you know who's of the devil and who is not of the devil? By the way they live their lives. By the way they live their lives. And if you go to John chapter 13, this is at the uh, Last Supper now. And let's see here. Before we go there, let's go to John chapter 12. In verse 16, or verse 6, I mean, I'm sorry. The anointing at Bethany and the uh, Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with, the, with the, uh, the oil, the perfume, and wiped his feet with her hair. And it says in Matthew, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used it to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this from the day of my burial. For the poor you, you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So at this point, in John chapter 12, this is, very, this is really towards the very end of Jesus' life on earth, uh, John says here that he was a thief. So what we have here, we have the... Uh, First, prosperity gospel preacher. A thief. In the guise of a disciple. And we know that six chapters earlier, Jesus called him a devil. And what we're going to see here in a second, in Matthew, um, let's see, I believe it's Matthew 26. I have my reference here, right here. We'll see how, what he sold Jesus for. But he betrayed Jesus for. And Matthew 26 and verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? What does this guy care about? Money. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Secretly betray him, of course, not not worth its crowds. But when Jesus was alone with his disciples praying, where there couldn't be a, an eruption from the crowds, so we have the first prosperity gospel preacher here, who is a thief, steals from the money bag, given to the ministry of Jesus. People think sometimes they're given to the ministry of Jesus, but they're actually giving to this thief and prosperity gospel preachers nowadays, and they're willing to sell Jesus for money. They want to make money off of godliness, off of Jesus. And uh, such people, just like Judas was, are devils. They're not Christians. So that's what we see here. Now, another point I want to make here before we get into the uh, John 13 part that I just mentioned, I want to talk about Matthew 19, 28. And... Um, this is actually, I believe, chronologically speaking, after Jesus called Judas the devil. So we're going to see here that it's almost like Jesus is giving Judas another chance. He's giving him opportunity to repent in, in Matthew 19, 28. He says, so Jesus said to them, they're, they're arguing about who the greatest is, and, and he says, Assuredly uh, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there's twelve thrones here. 
judging the twelve and his twelve disciples. Well, you're going to have an empty throne, Jesus. But what is he? What's the condition here to being on one of those twelve thrones? You must follow him. So he's giving. It's almost like he's giving Judas a warning here. Judas, you must follow me. You want to sit on one of these twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel? You must follow me. Now, I believe, we don't know for sure, but I believe Paul the Apostle will be the other one sitting on the throne there. On those 12 thrones. He's the, he's the replacement. And once again, this doesn't mean that Jesus did not know what was going to happen. Because it said in John 6 that he knew from the beginning who would betray him. From the beginning. He knew these things. And we're going to see here in a minute in John 13 that Jesus makes some uh, definite statements about Judas before he even does what he does. I mean, he knows what Judas will do before he does it, even though it's a free will choice and Ju on Judas's part. So let's go to John chapter 13. Uh, the supper is done now, and Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. Okay? Verse 2. Supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we have the devil putting something into his heart. Now, is this forcing it upon Judas? This is a temptation here. The devil's giving Judas a temptation right now to go betray Jesus. Now, he's already made the, I believe at this point, he's already made the arrangements with the, with the Pharisees, but now he's going to actually do it. Okay, and you see in verse 27, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, talking about Judas, then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So at this point, Satan had not entered him. But now Satan, literally Satan himself, has entered him. Before, Jesus was acting like a devil. He's hearing temptations from Satan himself. Now he's submitting to the temptation. He's going to now go betray Jesus. In verse 10, it also says about this situation here, this is Jesus once again making a distinction between the other 11 disciples and Judas. He says, he who is, is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So Jesus is not clean. He'd already decided, with the, he already made a decision with the Pharisees, I'm going to betray Jesus. And he hadn't actually carried it out yet. He'd gotten the 30 pieces of silver. But at this point, he could repent. He can still say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm going to bring these 30 pieces of silver back to the Pharisees. I'm not going to betray Jesus. He hasn't done the, he hasn't done the crime yet. He's consented with the Pharisees, but he has not done it. He's only been tempted by Satan, and then Satan enters him once he decides to do it. You're not all clean. So, and then verse 18, Jesus says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it comes to pass, and when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who, he who receives, whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So there's some definite statements here from Jesus. And he's saying, I'm telling this before it happens, that you may know that I am he. So one of the qualities of knowing that Jesus is God in the flesh is that he can tell you the future free will action of somebody. And that's Judas, before he actually does it. He's not saying he might do it. 
He's saying he's going to do it. And the fact that I'm telling this beforehand proves to you that I am he. And then when you see it happen, what this will do, now, now obviously Judas is going to go off, he's going to betray him, he's going to go hang himself and, and be condemned to hell. But the good thing that comes out of this is the disciples' faith will be strengthened. Because Jesus told them ahead of time, this is going to happen. And it would strengthen their faith in who Jesus actually is. Now we see here in verse 18 a quote from Psalm 41.9. He who has eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now this is a scriptural fulfillment. Remember we talked about, I don't know if you guys remember this, but we, there's different kinds of prophecies in the Bible. There's absolute prophecies. Those are those that will definitely come to pass. God will bring them to pass by his own strength and power. There's conditional prophecies, like the one in Jonah. Forty days and it'll be destroyed. But it was conditional. If they repented, God will relent from his destruction upon them. And then there's parallel fulfillment prophecies. These are the prophecies that are in the Old Testament that have a, a uh, something in the Old Testament that actually is corresponding with that. Now, this quote from Psalm 41 is not originally talking about Judas. It's not a future prophetic absolute pro a prophecy that must be fulfilled in Judas. And Judas never mentioned the Old Testament. This is a, a, uh, something David is saying after Ahithophel betrayed him. Okay? And I want to go back to this, 2 Samuel chapter 15 here. And I just want to touch on what Ahithophel was like here. And you will see the parallel here between what Ahithophel did and what Judas did. And um, it, it starts in chapter 15, but I'm going to start in, in chapter 17 here. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'll let you read it for yourself. You can start in 2 Samuel 15 and read all the way through 17. But Ahithophel basically said to Absalom that to go to... Absalom is gaining people on his side because he wants to be king. And he wants the people to be on his side so he can overthrow his father David as king and that he can be king. And so he goes to Ahithophel, who once was a counselor or a close companion of David, who gave him wisdom and guidance at times, and now he's giving Absalom, David's son, wisdom. Or not good wisdom, it's not really wisdom, it's foolishness. He tells Absalom to go sleep with David's concubines. Because that will bring a division between David and Absalom, father and son, and the people will side with him. And then it says in, in chapter 17 and verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. What did Judas do? He arose, he went and got men, who were fighting men, and went and pursued who? Jesus. So Ahithophel being like Judas here, or Judas being like Ahithophel, because that's in the future, and David and Jesus are the parallels here. It says, I will come upon him while he is weary and weak. Was Judas weary and weak in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was sweating and he was so under distress that he was sweating drops of blood. So we see a parallel with that. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Did all the disciples flee? And who was, who was the only one struck out of all the disciples in Jesus? Jesus. The sheep were scattered. Then I'll bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And this saying pleased Absalom all the elders of Israel. Now, did, did the crucifixion of Jesus please all the elders of Israel? It sure did. 
So we have quite a bit of parallel here between the story of Ahithophel and David and the story of Judas and Jesus. And Psalm 41.9, which is a quote that Jesus used here, is originally talking about Ahithophel. Okay? Now, go to verse 23 of 2 Samuel 17 and see how Ahithophel responds when Absalom does not take his advice here in verses 1 through 4. It says, Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he sat on a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. So Ahithophel hung himself. It's like Judas hung himself. So there's lots of parallels here between the two stories. And what I want you to see here is Jesus is not saying that this is an absolute prophecy that must be fulfilled in Judas. In fact, when it says in verse 18 of John 13, that the scripture may be fulfilled. The word may be here, fulfilled, is called the subjunctive in the Greek. And it's dealing with possibilities and probabilities, not definite, absolutely predestined things. So even at this point, Judah still has an option here. But once again, he finally submits himself to the devil in verse 27. Satan enters him, and he goes to accomplish Satan's work, not God's work. Okay, so... Everything that has to do with Judas, and we'll go to Acts chapter 1 here in a minute, everything that has to do with Judas are all parallel fulfillments. That absolute prophecy is saying, Judas must betray Jesus. It doesn't say that. Even the, the 30 silver coin, which is mentioned in, in uh, Zechariah, that has an actual application in the Old Testament. It is not talking about Judas in the future, but it's a parallel fulfillment. The same thing that happened in the Old Testament is happening now in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that God is causing it to come to pass. Or that Judas is predestined to betray Jesus. Or that Judas, Judas is predestined to go to hell, even. Because even after he did this, he, he could have had godly sorrow. He could have repented. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. And we see here in Acts chapter 1 some things. And, um, you know, I'm not so sure that the disciples should have done what they did in replacing Jesus with Matthias. That's kind of up for discussion, I guess. But I'm of the opinion, personally, that they should have waited for Jesus to choose the, the replacement. Because he chose them. Uh, but what we have here is, in verse 15 of Acts 1, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So Judas was numbered with the disciples and had a part in the ministry. And then in verse 18 and 19, you see it's in parentheses in your Bible. That means Peter didn't actually say this. That's in verse 18 and 19. It's something that's, that Luke says here. Okay, that's why it's in parentheses. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. and became known to all, this, all those dwelling in Jerusalem that the field in their own language, is called in their own language, a keldama, that is field of blood. So Judas didn't literally buy the field, though. We talked about it before, how, how the, you know, the, the centurion didn't literally come to Jesus. How... Uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, didn't literally come to Jesus and actually be sitting on the left and right in the kingdom. Who literally bought the field? 
Well, let's go to Matthew chapter uh, 27, I believe. And we'll see who literally uh, bought the field here. Let me make sure my reference is right here. That might be wrong. Anyway, the point, maybe it's in Luke. Let me just check one more reference here real quick. Anyway, Judas comes back to the Pharisees. And um, he wants nothing to do with the money. He throws the money at their, at their feet, at the Pharisees' feet. And they want nothing to do with the money either. So what they do is they, they buy a field with the money. And let's see here. Well, I guess I don't know where it is. Matt 20, is it Matt 27? Thank you, Daniel. Matthew 27. Oh, there we go. Okay. Matthew 27, verse 3. Thank you. Then Judas' betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, but not with a godly remorse, the worldly remorse, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury, because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced and gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Okay, so what we see here is that Judas, we see in Acts 1.18, didn't literally purchase the field, but the money that he had was given back to the Pharisees was purchased, uh, with the, was used to purchase the field. So in, its, in the roundabout sense, he did purchase it. And it says in verse 18 of Acts 1 that he, he fell headlong, he's burst out in the middle of the field, and all his entrails gushed out. But in Acts 27 it says he was hanged. So we have a comparison here. Uh, what possibly could have happened, he hung himself, maybe the branch he hung himself on, that broke, and then he fell down a cliff and he, he bust, got busted all open. Okay, so I think both actually happened here, not one or the other. You know, people will come to the Bible and look at these two passages, Matthew 27 and Acts 1, and say, look, there's a contradiction here. No, there's not a contradiction. All of those things happened. All of those things happened to him. And that was his fate. And we see Jeremiah talking about this as well as, as Zechariah, chapter 11, verses 12 through 13, talks about this. So, this is what uh, happens with, uh, with, with Judas after he gets remorseful. Okay, go back to Acts chapter 1, it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. Okay, once again, that's uh, quoting from Psalm sixty-nine twenty-five. And then the second part of Acts, Acts one twenty here says, Let another take his office. That is quoting from Psalm 109 and verse 8. And none of these scriptures, once again, are originally talking about Judas. Now God, in his foreknowledge, 
obviously knew he should have a double fulfillment. A modern fulfillment back in the Old Testament, they were originally written, Psalm 41.9, Psalm uh, 69.25, and Psalm 109.8, they had original fulfillment, and God knew, as his foreknowledge would know, they would have another fulfillment in Judas later on. So let another take his office. And then they, they proceed to cast lots, and uh, Matthias is chosen over Barsabbas. Okay, so what we have here is Judas, he was a genuine disciple at one point in time, becomes a devil, but even after becoming a devil, Jesus says that he could sit on one of the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and Jesus uses some parallel fulfillment in John 13, and his main problem the whole reason he had this problem was because of money. His love of money. And didn't Jesus say, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you cannot love both me and money? You cannot serve two masters? I'm pretty sure Judas is probably in that crowd when he heard that, when that was spoken by Jesus. And he's tempted by Satan in John 13, after the Last Supper, right before the foot washing. And then he gives in the temptation. And then he goes and kills himself. But he could have repented even after he did all this to Jesus. He could have repented. He could have had godly sorrow. That leads to repentance. And the other thing I want to point out here is in John, we saw in John 6.70 that Jesus says that one of you is a devil. But the thing I want to focus on right now and what he says there is, did I not choose you? The Twelve. And you know, we all know that from learning about Calvinism in this fellowship that it talks about unconditional election, which means that God picks and chooses who's going to be saved and who isn't. But here we have Jesus choosing Judas, and he ended up perishing, becoming a devil, Satan entering in him, and killing himself and going to hell. And to even emphasize it even more in John 17, and this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17. And he says in John 17, and verse 12, talking about his disciples now, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those who you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So, one of the ones that Jesus chose, but his father gave him, one of the ones the father gave him, was lost. So can someone who the Father gives to Jesus be ultimately lost? Yes. Because Judas was. He was chosen. And notice again it says in verse 12, this is before it actually happened now. This is after the Last Supper. Jesus praying in the garden. I mean, even here it said, he's saying, uh, might be fulfilled. Subjunctive is used again. Might be fulfilled is subjunctive in the Greek. And all you need to know about subjunctive is that it's dealing with possibilities and probabilities. So even now, the scripture seems to be saying that Judas could have turned back. And you, you don't see uh, there being an, no alternative yet an, an anymore until you go to Acts 1, where it says in verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. 
That's after the fact, though. Before the fact, before it actually happened, it might be and may be. After the fact, it's had to be. But he's speaking after the fact now. So, I think what we're dealing with here when it comes to Judas is he was a, just like with everybody else, a free will creature who once genuinely followed Jesus. Now, we don't know when between genuinely following Jesus and when he departed, but it was about six months to a year, at the most, when, he, when Jesus finally called him a devil. And his main problem was money, the first prosperity gospel preacher, at least in his heart anyway. And uh, he deceptively did it out loud by saying you should have gave that money to the poor instead of having it, you know, your, your feet anointed because he wanted the money for himself. And uh, one last thing I'll mention about this is in Mark 14, 21, Jesus says it's better off that he had never been born. Better off he had never been born than to do what he did. And, uh, you know, regarding this foreknowledge, free will thing, you'll, you'll probably see more about this as years go by, as people, more people become open theists. But I, I think what Jesus says in John 13, 19 through 21, he's saying this will come to pass. He's saying it about a future free will decision. Jesus, Jesus, Satan had not even entered Judas yet. He had not decided for sure he was going to do it. He had not gone to the chief priest and came, came to the garden. He said, many, there's lots of time between when Jesus said this and when Judas actually completed that Judas could have turned back. But Jesus knew what he would do. But at the same time, he had free will to do it. So I think we find in the Bible and all throughout scriptures that, that we find people who have free will, but the God does know what they will do. But that does not negate the fact that they have free will. They continue to have free will. So I think some of these the scriptures speak against scriptures like to tell you, they speak against Calvin, they speak against once they've always saying, they speak against open theism. And what they promote is biblical doctrine. Free will, conditional salvation, you can lose your salvation, or depart from the faith. You can become a devil when you once were a genuine Christian. There's no reason to be lackadaisical about these issues once you become a Christian. And the doctrine of once they've always said leads you to that. And become lackadaisical. Okay, so hopefully you see the truth in the, in, in the teaching. Does anyone have uh, questions or objections or things they want to add to this?
Right. Yeah, I, I think they can both be called, the Antichrist and Judas are both called son of perdition because they both had Satan in them. That's what I would say. And perdition meaning destruction here. And if I remember right, in, in Revelation, he's also called, isn't he also called Apollyon or destroyer? He's called, that, that means destroyer. So he, he is the uh, he is the destroyer, but these people he entered into become the son of perdition, or the son of destruction. So these are these are just vessels that that the devil is using to bring forth destruction, not only to them, right, right. That not only bring destruction to them, but destruction to other people as well. Yeah, I, I think I don't think Satan's plan in using Judas was just to destroy Judas. He was trying to do something else, too. And I don't know how much... Some in the later version of the early church doctrine of the atonement would say that, that Satan was fooled. That he didn't really know that Jesus was going to rise from the grave. And that Now, this is not found in the scripture here, but I'm just saying this is what they said. That, that he was fooled and he didn't know. He thought that when, when, when Jesus died, that, that they won. So, I, I mean... The only way I could think that with, with Scripture is that why, why, would, why would Satan enter Judas and try to bring, bring forth a death to the Son of God when it would secure salvation for people? That's actually doing something good. That's bringing about something good by using... So I don't... Maybe we don't know what Satan knew and what he didn't know, but according to his actions, it seems to me that he didn't know what, what was going to happen. So... It's just, it's just speculation, yeah, of course. Speculation. You can see other areas where it seems like you might have been trying to get him not go to the cross. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, bow down and worship me and do all this. You know, yeah. Different, different areas where you're tempted to not fulfill that. Yeah, well, I don't, it doesn't really, I don't think it ever says that he tried to get him not to go to the cross, though. Yeah. He's just trying to get him to sin. Yeah, because yeah, he knew that would destroy everything. The Son of God sins, but yeah, I think that's the reason why they can both be called Son of Perdition because they're both uh, indwelt by Satan, and Satan is the the destroyer, and they're the they're basically becoming the son of the destroyer because they're whereas Jesus, the Son of God, is filled with the Holy Spirit, so they're filled with Satan. He's the Son of Perdition. So, but it's, it's obviously second Thessalonians. You can't be talking about Judas because it's talking about future there, and that's already way past. Him. That's like Thessalonians is probably written in the sixty, around the sixties, fifties or sixties. Judas killed himself in the early thirties. So it's impossible could have, been t- could have been talking about that. And Paul wrote it, and Paul wasn't even among the disciples at that point in time. Right. I think if anything, he 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think God had ill will towards Judas, but then good will towards everybody else. Just, just like everyone else, he wanted Judas to be saved. Now, he knew what Judas would do. That's not negate the fact that God had good will towards him. And choosing him and warning him, uh, even, even saying one of you is a devil. And then in another account of the supper, the supper, Judas says, is it me? And Jesus says, you have said it yourself. Even that's a warning. He has not done it yet. You know, if Jesus is face to face with you, he's telling you, you're a devil. I mean, he's the only one other person he did that to. Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Right? But you see, Peter responded differently. In humility and in godly sorrow. But even then, I think Jesus was trying to wake up Peter to the fact that you're going to deny me three times. Better wake up, Peter. Tremble. Yeah, I mean, you, we never, when we see other sinners doing wicked things or Christians falling, um, there's one guy who's a pastor who got arrested recently, was doing something sexually immoral in the park in his van. And he got arrested for that. And he, you can tell he just has worldly sorrow. He doesn't have godly sorrow. And we look at that, we should think, well, we, sh we should pray for the guy. But we should think, man, that could happen to me. We should never relax our guard and say, I'm above temptation. Now, obviously, it, takes, it took him a while to get to that point. He was involved in other things to get to that point. But we should never look at people as other people's sin and say, well, that'll never be me. And have a kind of a prideful attitude about it. Because temptation comes along, and if your guard's down, you're going to fall. Right, I don't think so. With the money, yeah. Well, he was the treasurer. So he had a temptation there. And he started stealing from it. But it took at least six months to a year before Jesus called him a devil. Now, Jesus doesn't pick devils to be his disciples. Now, is it the one thing, Kevin, I've talked about this, looking at this before, looking at this ministry, Kevin, is, um, is that the, the qualifications of an elder? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Is that better given in Scripture? Right. Right. Jews would have to meet those. Right. You know, pretty much. Right. Jesus is choosing Right? You think it's even a higher qualification. Now you're apostles. Yeah. I mean, elders are chosen by people. Chosen by people. Those qualifications apply. Right. Right. And look at all the things he could do. There's no devil there in those qualifications. Well, devils can't be disciples. Devils can't be sheep. Devils can't be workers worthy of their food. Devils can't cast out devils. Because what would happen? You'd have a house divided against itself. And people would call Jesus say he was casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, he said, that can't be true. A kingdom divided against itself will not stand. So how can that be true of Judas? A devil casting out devils? A devil healing the sick? Right. 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 Verse 26. Right. 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 Right.
But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Right. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Right. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Right. And Judas was one who drew back. Right. And then he has the Lord has no pleasure in him. He drew back to perdition. Right. He was the son of perdition. Uh, but he wasn't always the son of perdition. Right. And just like us, when he does, we don't want to draw back to perdition. Right. Yep, we want to live by faith and, and realize he's coming back soon. And uh, we need to be ready when he does come.